Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 75th episode, I'll be talking to Joanna Graham, co-host of the How To Wrestling podcast, about the early internet, specifically rathergood.com. Along the way, we discuss the point at which elite-level bullying just becomes musical theater, how one can be done with spoons, and the second, better, and more powerful kind of rebellion. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? <laughs> I'm Joe Graham and I'm the co-host of How To Wrestling, which I guess makes me a special snowflake by default. Like I'm pretty sure enough people have called me that by now. I like to take it as a badge of pride. Oh no, I totally do. I, I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> and listeners, you might recognize How To Wrestling as we've had Joe's co-host Kevin on the show earlier to ha- talk about LucasArts puzzle games and Point-and-click adventure games. <laughs> that was the one. Yeah, I was supposed to say, like, what's the word? Point-and-click adventure games. Yes, that is. And I've been a long-time fan of how-to wrestling. I've sponsored a couple of episodes and have sent it on to friends in order to encourage people to get into wrestling with me, as I often do on this show, much to people's bafflement. So <laughs> if you wanted to kind of ballpark how-to wrestling to someone, what would you say? I'd say it's an educational slash comedy podcast i don't know if that's reaching it's for new fans who are curious about watching professional wrestling and don't know where to begin and we basically started it because when i met kevin i'd never seen any wrestling in my life and i thought it sounded really interesting it looked really fun from like the gifts i'd seen and yet as a new fan there's very little out there to try and actually explain who the characters are is wrestling real or fake like are the moves real are they dangerous or are they it's all just like fake play fighting there's so many rules so much of the information is kept like within the industry that we thought it'd be quite fun to try and break it down a bit and i could learn something about wrestling in the process yeah and i think the show has kind of evolved from its earlier episodes where it was you know kevin showing something to you and saying okay this is a thing that lots of people know about wrestling let's see how a new fan would approach it and what questions you might have and things like that which is also an excuse to go through and relive some fantastic and in some cases terrible moments <laughs> in professional wrestling and i think now because i mean how long have you been doing it now i've been doing it nearly three years i think yeah it'll be three yeah. years this june or july so yeah i'm i'm not really a new wrestling fan anymore exactly So I think it's changed from, hey, let's watch a new fan react to all the stuff that we're used to as old fans. There's comedy in that. And now it's become this thing where it's like, okay, let's now see these contrasting viewpoints of someone who's familiar with, you know, three years of wrestling versus someone who's been watching it all their lives. And between the two of you, you come out with a viewpoint that I can only refer to as educational. Because you'll often take on stuff like we were talking in the pre-show about Jimmy Havoc, who I knew of, but I'd never seen any matches of. 
Mm. And from what I've seen, I now feel I'm prepared for when Jimmy Havoc comes to Australia next month. And I was able to send it to my friend Ree because A, they're an email kid, and B, Jimmy Havoc is 100% in their staple of wrestler boys. <laughs> I can send them that and go, okay, you need to listen to this. And mm. you will be 100% over on Jimmy Havoc by the end of it. That's kind of, yeah, that's where I wanted it to end up, I think, when we first started. But because mm-hmm. I didn't even know the basics, we had to just sort of naturally follow where I ended up learning things, I guess. It's been difficult in a way because, obviously, whenever we're hanging out with other people who watch wrestling, Kevin's almost there as, like, my guardian. Like, don't talk about that. We've got to save it for the episode. Like, <laughs> don't mention this character because we're saving it for the episode. It's, like, definitely catchphrase now amongst our group of friends. And, of course... <laughs> being that Adam and Billy are are good friends of ours and do a wrestling podcast with Kevin, can make conversing difficult when I'm around. (laughs) (laughs) They do install that parental filter around you where it's just like, you know, you're talking about wrestling prior to 2008 and it's just like black bars appear over their mouths. And it's it's weird as well because if I'm talking to people who watch wrestling they always either assume i know nothing or know loads and because i only know the episodes that we've done of certain wrestlers or certain companies if we haven't covered it in the show chances are i don't know about it because kevin is really quite good at stopping me from hearing about stuff i'm quite careful too recently i've started listening to another show as well called smark of the beast which recent guests matt wilson and matt fisher do where they rank everything in wrestling what they talk specifically about is things that are you know, a block to a new fan. The Mm. kind of thing where someone who's new or someone who's not familiar will look at it and go, well, that's stupid. And Mm. it's the kind of thing that no one's questioned. And they raised one that honestly made me think, which is the Irish whip. (laughs) You know, you grab someone by a hand and throw them across the ring. And that in a video game initiates the run animation. Mm. And there's no way to stop that unless you kind of lean back and grab onto the ropes. But they actually posited that as something that a new fan would look at that and go, that's stupid. Why would they do that? And it's never, ever occurred to me to question that when someone grabs your hand and they run across the ring. I don't find the Irish whip that weird, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It, I think I can kind of understand the point of it. You're throwing them against the ropes, kind of, and then the momentum. It is a bit silly when you think about it. But the one that really pisses me off is when you have someone jumping from like the top rope or the turnbuckle and their opponent is just standing there in the middle of the ring looking at them. Or when a wrestler comes up from behind another wrestler, hits them, and that suddenly means that they're like immediately KO'd. Like, there's certain random wrestling (laughs) rules that really, if you haven't watched wrestling from, like, a young age, you're like, why is that a rule? But it is. It's just this this wrestling law. Yeah, and I think it's something that's become a lot more kind of wishy-washy as wrestling has become, A, more popular, and B, that there's more of it. Because I can recall when I was a kid, you know, watching, there was a feud with Jake the Snake Roberts and the Million Dollar Man. At one point, because, of course, Million Dollar Man being the heel, he didn't want to ever take the finishing move. So he would have Virgil, his terribly problematic, let's say, employee, because, oh, my God. But Virgil would end up taking the DDT from Jake Roberts. And then they would have Virgil be prone in the ring for 10 minutes. Right. And it's like, okay, it's clear this move is a knockout move. Right. And, you know, you have to protect that move. Someone takes a finisher in a contract signing now or a pre-recorded spot, oh, they'll go down for a minute, but then they're fine and walking about. And so it's like this idea where it's like, okay, well, in this, the rule is you take that finisher, you're knocked out, and you better play knocked out and sell it. 
I found that more confusing as a new fan, I think, because when I watch clips from like the Ashier or older t- styles of wrestling where they do actually take the finisher seriously, it was really hard for me to sort of differentiate between the different types of moves. And it took me, I'd say, mm. at least a year and a half before I started to recognize even like my favorite wrestlers' finishing moves. I really struggled. Yeah, and that's something, especially if you're not familiar with a wrestler and don't know what their finisher is, unless they make a big deal, which is, I think, why there are so many taunts into finishing moves now. Yes, I wish, yeah, they'd do more. It's clear. It's like in Street Fighter, you know, you have that animation to show, oh, this is my super attack. Yeah, if John Cena does the wave in front of his face and then runs across the ring, he's going to do his finisher. If Roman Reigns pumps his big fist and goes, And does that big <laughs> He's going to do his finisher, and that's way helpful. Yeah, totally. It's something where certain wrestlers from the past, and there are a few that I could name, where not every match would end with their finisher. Right. Their finisher was reserved for, okay, I need to put this guy away because he's a dangerous threat to me. If an ending can come out of nowhere, it makes a match more exciting. Yeah. And the idea where, okay, if you see that finisher, you know that's it. You know, you're done, son, go home. Mm. It's a different kind of thing to be like, okay, who can pull off their finisher first and do it? But yeah, you're right. With the taunts and stuff signaling that this is a thing, that will end a match. Yeah. Makes it easier compared to if you don't know what someone's finisher is. It's like, actually, recent example, watching the NJPW live show, I didn't realize that a gentleman who goes by the sobriquet of Blue Justice, who's kind of one of the elder statesmen of New Japan, and I'm blanking on his name. Someone will tell me, I'm sure, in the comments, did like a German suplex pin. And that was the end of the match. And I kind of went, oh. I kind of looked around left and right and went, okay. Uh, I guess that's I guess that's his finisher. <laughs> that's the end now. <laughs> when we did Goldberg, that's when I was really angry, I think, angriest about finishers. Because Goldberg seems to have hacked the system in that he knows, oh, I just do my finisher immediately and I win. And that just makes me think, <laughs> okay, why doesn't every wrestler do that? Like, just immediately go in. Whoever does their finisher first, right, you're the winner. That's wrestling now forever. Whoever gets their meter high enough can yeah. then just do their finisher. <laughs> Unless you're Kenny Omega, at which point you have a secret perk, which means that your meter just flashes for a good 15 minutes and you can just do it over and over and over again. <laughs> and I say that with all the love in my heart because he's one of my favorite wrestlers. But still, come on, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've talked about wrestling long enough. We've hit the meter on the wrestling talk. All right, Joe, let's start with the basics. Where did you grow up? I grew up in just outside Cambridge in the UK in a little town. Well, I guess a little village called Triplo. Moved around a little bit as a young child slash teen. I was nice. I was lucky. We lived sort of grew up in the countryside, which is good because it meant I spent a lot of time either roaming sheep fields or on the internet. <laughs> That's... Two very distinct things. Yes, they were my two hobbies growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, roaming sheep fields or the internet. That was it. I was an interesting child. (laughs) Diverse interests. So this is the thing I always ask when I hear that someone grew up in a village. In this small village, how many pubs were there? I think there was only... There was one, I think, yeah. It was Whoa. quite a small village, yeah. It was like a really wealthy village and full of like big mansions and stuff. And we lived in like the one poor part of the village, <laughs> which had like a few council houses. And so it was kind of great because we got to live in this really posh area, but also like benefit from all the privileges of wealth without actually being wealthy. 
Uh, I was going to say, I'm shocked that there's only one because it seems like every time I've had someone from the UK who grew up in a village and I would say, okay, because this started after I saw the world's end and I went, why are there so many pubs in a tiny little village? And the answer is usually, oh, there are 14 drinking establishments. If you talk about like local clubs and like, you know, your bowling club and your this and that. And, and then there were five pubs with deadly rivalries with one another. God. in our tiny village that's complicated no i've never lived anywhere with pub rivalries though i totally see how that could happen if you have more than one. Oh, this place is where my dad drank but this is where i go with my friends and this is where i go with like my, my football club and etc 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 so yeah hearing there's just one is interesting but also i wanted to touch on something else that you said because that's a feeling that i recognize is having a friend's parents drop me off after you know playing at their house or whatever and looking around the neighborhood that they're dropping you off in and going wow this is really nice and i'm like just wait just wait <laughs> around the corner <laughs> and they get to the end and it's like the, the one rather pokey bungalow at the end like yeah yeah that's us <laughs> Yeah, we were totally the same. It looked like going into our village as though we were incredibly rich because like everyone had like pillars and stuff. It was great because I was I was a babysitter, so all the people who needed babysitting were like these super rich people. So I got to hang out in their mansions and then walk home <laughs> all the way to the edge of the village where we were with our sheep field opposite. But I I loved it. It was great. It means good walking. So while roaming these sheep fields and yeah. trolling the internet. What sort of kid were you? I, um, I think it was, a, I don't know, I, I always have really weird, like, split idea of what I was like as a kid. I worry sometimes, because I was quite popular, and I worry that means I was a bully. I don't know if other people <laughs> have this feeling, because, like, I don't think I was a particularly nice kid, looking back, but I did have a lot of friends. <laughs> and I do things like, I was quite creative, but not in a nice way. I used to write spoof musicals i was big into musicals like joseph and the amazing technicolor dreamcoat and stuff and i'd do kind of like inspired by monty python i'd do kind of like satirical versions of them and then perform them in the playground but they often focused around either teachers or kids i didn't like Uh and like at the time i'm pretty sure everyone was like oh what a creative little girl and actually looking back i'm like what a little shit i was wow (laughs) why did no one stop me (laughs) Although there is a certain level of respect you have to give to a bully who didn't just, you know, push you down and steal your sweets uh, (laughs) or, you know, ask for money, but composed entire musicals. And not only that. Very popular musicals of the time. Not only that, but I would, (laughs) this is so fucking weird. I would convince other children in in the playground to perform the harmonies. And like, I'd choreograph. You lot have to be the chorus. All right, stand up. All right, you up that end. You up that end. You're the top part. You're the bottom. It's like, and if you come in too early, we will have words. Yeah. Well, you don't, you dare fuck it up. Okay. You little shit. Seven years old. You better get in line. We have gone over this choreography <laughs> a thousand times, Gerald. God. I think the main theme of all the music that I wrote at the time was poo. It was all about poo. And I remember specifically asking my mum when I was 10 years old, mum, do you think I'm funny? Because I want to be a professional comedian when I'm older. And she was like, um... are funny for a child you have a certain charm you like poo a lot don't you but oh, yeah 10 year olds i can't i don't even know if i've grown out of that one i still find poo oh really funny 
Oh, I have to momentarily tangent onto this because my partner Kimiko also thinks that Pooh is the funniest thing. I mean... <laughs> and when she was pregnant with our son, we were on a little kind of weekend holiday up to the Blue Mountains. We found a little bookshop and kind of poked around. And she found a children's book called The Mole Who Knew It Was None of His Business, which was about a mole who was pooed on on top of his head. <laughs> And looked at it, and he's like, wait, this isn't one of mine. And basically what he does is he goes around to all the local animals, points to his head, and goes, hey, is this yours? Oh, my God. And they go, no, mate, I poo like this. And they show, like, pictures of, like, little pellets or rabbits. (gasps) That's actually really cool, though. What an educational book. (laughs) It's great. And the thing is, I actually snapped a picture of her as she, like, found this book, opened it, and the reaction face that she was making. (laughs) It's like she discovered the Ark of the Covenant. And we 100% bought it, and we're waiting for Hero to be old enough to really appreciate the humor <laughs> yes. of comparative poo. That's, I mean, you're going you're gonna to educate that child. It's going to be very oh knowledgeable on the types of stool. I, that's a good thing to know. <laughs> it's a skill. <laughs> oh, gracious. So, <laughs> when you weren't composing musicals about poo, I'm yeah. sorry. This is, it's like the level of craft involved. Oh my god! Just like yeah. stuns me. Yeah, I was. I had t- way too much time on my hand. Not enough actual hobbies other than roaming the sheep fields, writing musicals about poo, and being on the internet. Well, it's something that we can talk about in a minute because that's legitimately your topic. Is you wanted to talk about capital T, capital I, the internet? Yes. Well, it was either that or songs about poo, which we could go into, but we're not gonna. <laughs> So here's the thing. Now, how old are you? Off the top of I'm I was say, off the top of your head, of course you know. <laughs> so, so, I actually don't know. Kevin corrected me the other day. I, I keep thinking I'm 28. I'm 27. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm tw- 27. Yeah, Kevin keeps telling me that. I have no idea. I'm so bad at remembering ages. Yeah, see, I'm bad at remembering relative ages. So, like, someone will mention, like, there was an Olympics in Sydney around the turn of the millennium, and someone pointed out to me the other day. Hey, you know, there are people who are born after the Sydney Olympics who can drive and drink and, you know, create accounts with our work and stuff. So if you hear that someone was born in 2000, you go, oh, yeah, right, mate, you know, you're, you're a child. And it's like, no, they're adults with that's, responsibilities. Oh, God, that's so weird. It's terrifying. I'm still 12. They can't be voting age. That's older than I am. <laughs> but I'm now at the point where I've stopped protesting that I can't be an adult and start protesting about how old I am because I'll do things like, you know, my knees will hurt if I go up a particularly long flight of steps. Yeah. I'll have to stop at the top and kind of like shake my knee out and, and be like, oh, you kids today, you don't have to think about these things. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I think I flip between <laughs> the two extremes. I'm either old and dying, like I totally get it with the knee thing, same, or I am 12 years old and how on earth am I an adult? There's a comedian named Adam Hills, which I think, who I think has become quite popular in Britain as well so you might know who he is does a show called The Last Leg now I saw him live here and he talked about turning up at your local coffee shop and just like you know rolling your head from side to side and looking like you've been run over by a truck and you know your local barista is like oh what do you have oh just my usual please and make it a strong one oh and they're like big night and it's like when you were younger, you'd say, oh, yeah, I was out with my friends and we ended up at a bar and there were tequila shots and, oh, I'm just a wreck this morning. Or, oh, no, I was out dancing till two in the morning. Or, you know, I was out at a football game and screamed my lungs out and all these things. And now you're like, oh, it's the worst. I slept on the wrong pillow. <laughs> I must admit, I can't relate to the going out and drinking thing because I didn't really ever do that. Like, I went out once in my entire time at university, I think. Once. Like, properly out, out. I mean, like, drinking. Yeah, see, I 
had enough of those in maybe a six month period when I was in my second year of university. Right. Where there was something on every night. So you would go out and do things. And so I have enough stories of being stupid and like <laughs> falling asleep in the snow on a park bench and nearly freezing to death. And at one point, like having my trousers literally freeze coming back from a New Year's Eve party because Canada. Bloody hell. Walking back along the Rideau Canal at two in the morning on New Year's Day and hearing the ice break as you walk. But yeah, I have enough of those stupid stories. But then I, you know, moved to Australia where things finish at midnight and I was a lot more sensible. Oh, really? all, All the pubs close at midnight. Interesting. Like even clubs and stuff. Uh, well, there are some after-hours places, and recently they've had uh, a lockout laws, which means that most, you know, a lot of those places have closed down. But I mean, yeah, usually you'll find yourself they'll start turning the lights on and putting the chairs up I at see. about quarter to twelve. Right. I have enough of those stories now, and I can be sensible as well and be like, oh yes, well I don't do that kind of thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Kids these days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Exactly. Where are we going with this? I'm sure the last few shows have been very tangent heavy. I blame the fact that I am now stuck to an early morning time slot. And so this is trail off. So what age were you when when you welcomed the internet into your life? I was actually really young because my dad's job when I was a kid was to install broadband in people's houses. So he basically would drive around this big van and it had a huge aerial on the top. It was like a 30 foot aerial. And we had this in our driveway at all times. And it basically allowed us to get broadband in like 1998, I'd say. So like way before everyone else I knew. So I was always very hashtag blessed in that respect. (laughs) All my friends were jealous. They'd get to come around and like, ah, I get to use the internet. You don't even have to like turn it off to call someone. It's really special. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I, I was on it from quite a young age. And I think because of that, I ended up into quite a lot of things that people like a couple of years older than me were into in terms of like video games and I was on MSN Messenger before like most of my friends were like just had it didn't use it to call anyone or contact anyone or anything it was just it was there the very messenger types I think will identify like generational gaps because when I was in high school the big thing was ICQ which thinking back was like the worst idea on the planet because every new message was a new window. Oh, God. So you would get a message and reply, and they would get a window back. They would reply and get a window back. And I remember it had a really distinctive, uh-oh, kind of <laughs> notification tone. Yeah. And you could download special sound patches that would change it to, like, quotes from movies or, like, sound effects from Star Wars or whatever. And you wouldn't even have a username. You would have an ICQ number that oh. you'd have to, like, ask someone, hey, what's your ICQ number? God. And then you could add them as a, to your contact list. And then AOL Instant Messenger and MSN Messenger came up at the same time. And they seemed so weird and ephemeral because they were all in the same window. And <laughs> they were, like, easy to use. And people were, like, you know, putting song lyrics as their username. Colors. Oh, colors, Little yeah. Little icons. Purple, emojis. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just plain text. <laughs> and you could get skins where, like, it would do every window as like the panel of a manga so it'll be like oh these two people are having a fight and they're yelling what you're typing which is usually hey what's going on oh nothing i'm just sitting here listening to music cool (laughs) what are you up to nothing what about you nothing cool cool bye because we're literal children sitting at home doing nothing yeah that's all we have to do is just ask each other what we're doing doing nothing because i'm 10 I remember on MSN Messenger, they introduced games in like, I think it was around 2002, 
2002, maybe 2003. And you could play like the mini game from, oh, what's that point and click game? Uh, Guybrush Threepwood. Oh, oh uh, Monkey Island. Monkey Island, that's the one. You know the boat challenge where you have to fight the pirates in rhyme? Mm-hmm. You ever played that one? Yes. And it was great because you could duel your friends and... Because I was a nerd child who'd played all the Monkey Island games, I, I knew the correct responses. Because being 10, what's rhyming mean? I don't understand. What's the, what's the rule here? So I felt really smug that like I always beat my friends on that particular game. And then there was things like chess and stuff later on, which I was just terrible at. <laughs> but I love that. I love the fact that you could do little mini games in your chat boxes and stuff. And yet here we are in 2018. And we get really annoyed when someone is using something like Facebook to play games and you get a million invitations. You're oh, like, ugh, God. just go away. Yeah, no, ugh, gross. It's probably because we've got so many hundreds of contacts on Facebook now that, like, it's just overwhelming. Whereas on MSN Messenger, you'd have, like, maybe 15 people. And it was like, oh, here's my best friend who I've just spent seven hours with at school today. And now we're going to play some, I don't know, what other games did they have on there? They had a whole bunch. I think Ludo was on there, Solitaire. Euchre. I remember playing Euchre for a bit, which I always thought was strange because Euchre was a game that, you know, old ladies played and would be played when I would go to visit my aunts in uh, yes. Kirkland Lake. It had a lot of old lady games on. <laughs> yeah, and you could play against some strangers and then some friends just playing and be like, oh, this actually has some useful knowledge now. <laughs> yeah, suddenly but, your grandma's really impressed. Like, oh, you know how to play this old lady game. Of course, then I went to university and realized that because there were lots of other French Canadian people there. Everyone played that game. So there was always three games going on in like the arts cafe at the bottom of the faculty. So you would like come out of class and just join a game and someone else would have to go to class. And so you would just constantly be going. And if you knew the game, you could just step in and play. Wow. And I learned that, you know, uni students are nowhere near as cutthroat as old ladies when they play cards. (laughs) That's always the way. Old ladies are the most cutthroat at any game. That's just the truth. I remember there was a thing where it's like, because the way you would mark the score in Euchre is you would have one card face up and you'd move a face down card to show the pips to see whether, like, oh, I've scored one, so I moved to show one. And there was a particular old lady that we would play with who would sprout a next pip to be like, oh, it's for good luck. I'm just going to tip it so you can see the corner there. And that's just like, that's going to be my next point. It'll be good luck for the next round. And then she would like accidentally jog it with her elbow. <laughs> Like, so it was showing a little more and a little more and a little more. And by the time she went to take the next point, it was just like, oh, well, I was on one. Now I'm on three. <gasps> and so I was like, wait a minute. That's so <laughs> sneaky. Oh, my God. Naughty grandmas. <laughs> oh, my God. That's totally the way, though. Mm. They know all the tricks. They've seen it all. Exactly. And you can't fool them because they've been there and they've tried that and it didn't work when they tried it. So it's <laughs> certainly has hell not going to work when you try it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say on the topic of MSN, my least favorite thing, which hasn't come from the past with us, is nudging. Oh, God. You remember you used to violently vibrate your whole screen? (laughs) So annoying. So annoying. It's like, ugh. Yeah, you're just trying to ignore this person and they're just keep nudging you all the time. I suppose it would be the equivalent of, you know, going to a pub or something and having a conversation and then literally having someone behind you go, hey, thump, hey. Yeah. Thump, thump, thump. Pay attention to me. Poking you, like, directly in the eye. Like, don't do anything else. Don't look at things. Just pay attention to me. Hey, I want to talk to you. (laughs) Hey. Although that said, I think I've met that guy at various pubs. Yeah. (laughs) There's always one. (laughs) There's always one guy who wants to just repeatedly poke you in the eye. (laughs) (laughs) And there you are. It's like you've gone up to order the next round. And there's just someone who's, like, he's clearly been there since early in the day. And it's just like wants to chat about stuff. And it's like, cool, I've already paid. I'm walking away from this conversation. (laughs) 
So coming back to the internet, when we were prepping this episode, you mentioned something that I think I had actively suppressed, but was a very important thing to me around 2000 to 2001. Yeah. And that was rathergood.com. Yes. It was a huge part of my early formative years, I'd say. Remember back in the early days of the internet, like before search engines were like any good to try and find funny things, I used to just go into the URL bar and just type in random words followed by .com. And that's how I came across rathergood.com, which is like total fluke, because I know loads of people loved rathergood.com, but I just happened to find it by typing random words into the the URL bar. Which, by the way, I need to say, is maybe the most English thing to be Googling. It's like, well... (laughs) Search amazing.com, wonderful.com. No, rather good. Oh, none of that really came to anything. Rather good. (laughs) Yeah. I was a very bored child, lots of time on my hands to search for random words put together. The millennial version of looking up swear words in the dictionary. Yeah, basically. (laughs) For those who aren't you and me, why don't you give a rundown of what you would find on rathergood.com? It was like, oh, weird animations, an amalgamation of things, because there were like, there was a series that I loved called the Blowed series, but it was two characters called Food and yeah. Blowed, and... Blowed and Food. Blowed and Food, yeah. They're just these like little circles with feet, and they go around and they go on adventures, and it's all a bit dark and weird. It's very kind of sort of simplistic when you look at it, and it's like the conversations are out of a children's book, mm. but then the random nouns they talk about wouldn't be a cat. Or a dog. No, it'd be like an ocelot. It would be a zeppelin. Yeah, or a zeppelin, yeah. (laughs) I think it definitely... I was very inspired by that when I was like 10. Like the idea of using long words to add humor, mm-hmm. especially because like, I was very into Monty Python and stuff as well as a kid, which ties mm-hmm. in quite closely to that sense of humor, I think, that just randomly using long words just to sound clever and silly. The surprise of a long word where you think a simple one is coming. Yeah. Oh, I got you a present. What did you get me? I got you a Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, I used to be really into the Food and Blowed ones. I actually showed Kevin a bunch of the rather good videos today because I was just watching through them and he was like, oh, I've never seen any of these. And watching them back as an adult now, I wish I found them as entertaining. <laughs> I don't know why I'm surprised, but I didn't find them nearly as entertaining as when I was 10. I'm so surprised. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a combination because I saw them when I was maybe like 18 or 19. It was seen as a very silly thing, but it it was a combination of the surprise of some of them, of the reveals. Yeah. And then doing that thing that young people do where you just, you reference it to one another just endlessly. Yeah. And so it becomes an inside joke just like through sheer force of will. Mm. There was another one outside of the Bloat and Food series which, by the way, had, I think, like, six episodes. Yeah, like, six or seven, even. It's, yeah, loads. But then were, like, there were other videos that would have extremely obscure references. Oh, and then they were walking around. And then there was the Chemical Brothers and that guy from Alternate. Yes, I saw that one today. <laughs> and then Britney Spears was there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Darth Vader's like, a crab. Crabs were a recurring theme mm. where there would just be, like, giant enemy crabs that would appear in a video. And there was one of, like... I forget, it was, it was just a little boy, and he was, like, staring with wide eyes. Yeah, lonely boy. That's it, the lonely boy. Well, the world was destroyed by giant alien crabs behind him, mm-hmm. and then the crabs started to sing. <laughs> and they would sing this weird, like, techno remix of, yeah. of Russian opera. <laughs> I love that one so much. Yeah, and all the other kids get eaten, because they look behind them. He's the only yeah, one left. Yeah, and he doesn't. Yeah. Which is incredibly dark. <laughs> Did you ever watch Spoon Guard? 
No, what was Spoonguard? Oh my god. So Spoonguard was like one of the more obnoxious videos on rathergood.com. There were a few of those. There was like the moon song, which is just like screeching, singing over like a cover of a, like a, a song. And then there was Spoonguard, which is basically like a guy just yelling the word Spoonguard. And it's very low random humor, which I think is like mm-hmm. a very key part of humor on the internet back in like 2000. And which fed on to so many other themes of older internet memes and stuff, like overuse mm. of spoons and bananas and octopus. Oh, yes. It's the words that are inherently funny. Yeah. Although I think as I got older, I've gotten very sick of certain random words. I think spoon is overused now. Done mm-hmm. with spoons. But Spoon Guard was a great video. And by great, I mean, do not watch it as an adult. Definitely don't show your boyfriend it thinking it'll be funny. Be like, ah, I'll show you this funny video I watched when I was 10. I swear it's still good. And it's just a guy yelling, Spoon Guard for like three minutes. <laughs> also, the videos back then, I don't, know if, like, I don't know if it's just rathergood.com or I think it's other stuff as well, but the, the memes were longer. Yeah. Like a lot of these videos were like nearly four minutes long. And it's one of those things where now you think, I'm not hanging on for four minutes. Yeah. You, know, you impress me in 30 seconds or six seconds with a vine and I'm out. Yeah. Like Charlie the Unicorn. <laughs> that was like three minutes. I haven't got the attention span of three minutes. No way. It was to the point where the attention span could be relied upon so well that certain videos would repeat. Yeah. And then you'd go, oh, they're repeating again. Oh, it's just this for like infinity. <laughs> and that's as recent as something like Shut a Woman, Look at My Horse. And it's just like, it's a song and you listen to it and it's like a verse and then a chorus, and then a little dance break, and it starts over again. And then you go, oh, they're doing it again. And then you realize by the third repetition, you're like, oh, it goes on forever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember with Weeble, he did one, I think it was Magical Trevor, and I would just watch that on repeat. And that was so <laughs> fun for me. It's just 30 seconds over and over and over again of just the same song. And I think it's something that, oh God, I'm going to stop saying the words that kids today don't realize, is trying to explain something like this to a friend who has not seen it. Yeah, it's difficult. Makes you sound like you've been hit by a bus and have suffered head trauma. Mm. When you're trying to tell someone that there's this site called Joe Cartoon where you could watch a little fly called Superfly who would just like yell insults at someone Mm. or, you know, a gerbil stuck in Bill Clinton's intestines and (laughs) then will blow him up. Yeah. Trying to like describe like this is why this is funny and just getting the blankest looks. It's very difficult. I think trying to show someone who's not seen 55 to them and like trying to explain why it was funny at the time and now it's just like, oh, it's just not aged well. It's kind of cringe to show. I also watched some Weeble and Bob because I was really into Weeble and Bob when I was younger and like obsessed I watched all of their videos in like one sitting once when I was like 14 and trying to even watch one of those now is like pulling teeth see I don't know Weeble and Bob what was Weeble and Bob? Weeble and Bob was two eggs who were obsessed with pie. It was this flash animation, so they'd just kind of rock back and forth. One was called Weeble and the other was called Bob. And they just talked about how much they loved and ate pie all the time. And there was quite a lot of toilet humor. It was sometimes a bit dark. It was always very silly and very kind of lol random again. But I was just so into it. They did hundreds of these videos and I like obsessively watched all of them and thought they were the funniest thing, even though it's the same joke over and over again, which is just that the eggs say the word pie a lot. Like that was, I think that was like the main joke of like the period of 2000 to 2005 was just saying words really longly and slowly and loudly. Considering you run a wrestling podcast, you know that The Rock had an entire song about pie. I have heard that, yeah, apparently he does have an entire song about pie. Although I'm not, I don't think I've heard it. It's awful. 
I would not recommend doing so. <laughs> Kevin will make me listen to it for the episode, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure he will. <laughs> You're right. It definitely is like the repetition and the shouting of random words. It's the, my spoon is too big. Yes. Uh, I have a banana. Yes, totally. It's a direct descendant yeah. and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, both kind of the ultimate expression of it as well as kind of the death of it came from Homestar Runner. Mm. Because I think it took that concept and just sort of kicked it up to 11 with its own like internal mythology and just like endless inside jokes to itself mm. and where you have to be in on it. And then if you're not, you look it up to find out to be in on it. So next time you get the joke and the sheer like mass of content that came out of that site, like a whole language that came out of it. And so it's like you get to that point and you're like, OK, well, that that's done it. Yeah. You can't really just have, you know, a flash video about badgers saying badgers a whole bunch <laughs> and then yelling mushroom. Yeah. I regret so much that I never got into Homestar Runner as a teen. Mm. I just, I didn't come across it until I think I was too old. If you're too late coming into it, it's just this incomprehensible thing. Yeah, it's just impenetrable. Yeah, because it has become so self-referential and inwardly focused that you're just like, okay, why is it funny that when a weight is dropped on someone, it's referred to as a heavy load, but it's written L-O-U-R-D-E, heavy yeah. lord. <laughs> and it's like, why is that funny? It's like, but it is. It is, if you know. <laughs> you had to be there. Exactly. <laughs> Although I can turn in my chair and I can see my DVD shelf from here. And I have four Strong Bad Email DVDs that in a fit of whimsy, I ordered from the internet and then watched it all in one go and went, okay, this doesn't really translate if you're just sitting on a couch watching it. It kind of has to be these like snippets of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember when Happy Tree Friends, I discovered uh, them oh, for the first yes, time. Oh, yes, Tree Friends. And I loved just randomly coming across like new episodes and stuff. And then eventually I bought the DVD from FOP and I was so excited to sit at home and watch it and everything. And then it just it wasn't fun for some reason. The magic had gone. It was a DVD. It's like not, not cool. I hadn't discovered it on the internet. It was just, oh, here are some episodes of this very normal animated show now, it seemed. Yeah. And I had Happy Tree Friends as well, but because it was like, well, at the time I was working in a contact center and I was a very new manager, and so I decided we were going to set up a corner of our like team area with a couch, and you know I'd got a TV from like St. Vincent de Paul, and like I'd, I'd gone on eBay and bought like a PlayStation One. People could sit down in their breaks and play games and stuff. And eventually, I had ended up with a second DVD player. Like I'd gotten a better one, and so I brought the old one into work. And people just started bringing in random DVDs. That was how I saw Daria for the first time. Oh wow! That was how I saw like Harvey Birdman for the first time, <sighs> and you know stuff like lots of adult swim stuff that I'd never heard of yeah. people would come in and just put on and hit play all during the day and because my desk was close to it I would just hear this going on continuously and yeah it was funny to see when someone would come and put on happy tree friends and it would just like oh okay so this is that thing and okay and the joke is that they all murder each other yeah okay but then when you see these you know shorts for an hour and a half yeah it's like does kind of burn you out again I did see a lot of good formative things from there mm. although again a lot of that early adult swim stuff don't go back and rewatch it it has not aged well. Yeah, so much stuff has not aged well. When I was re-watching some of the things today to try and like jolt my memory of terms of like early internet content, I was horrified how much of it was like really racist or like really sexist or really ableist. It was just like really shocking to see how I like consumed all this really horrible stuff without even realizing it. Like a deep thread of homophobia through all of it. And it's just oh, like- Oh God, yeah. Oh, can we, can we not, everyone? Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, as someone who now I can say 
happily for your job is to consume old content. How do you find that you can reconcile some of that, something that will really bump today, that at the time was considered to be all right? I mean, I don't know, it's a difficult one. I don't know if I do reconcile it necessarily. It's easy in a way because like a lot of it I did watch when I was quite young and Mm -hmm. like I can even look back at some stuff like I've made as like a teenager like when I used to make videos and stuff on my old YouTube channel I'd be like jokes that now I look back I'm like oh god why did I say oh why did I have such bad opinions I was a horrible person. It's quite shocking to see like how easily influenced I think I was like even like you know I guess it's easy to think now I'm a teenager it was like only a couple of years ago but I'm nearly 30 so I guess that was longer than I think (laughs) I swear it was only 15 yesterday and I think it's like that's something where it's like especially if you're looking at stuff that you've made you can point to your growth as a person and it's you know it's I have been told previously that you know showing old pictures of myself people is like you're you're proof there is hope for all mankind it's like am I though (laughs) don't think you can just skate past the fact that you used to have your own YouTube channel tell me about this YouTube channel oh my god so I (laughs) I was really into the idea of being like I wouldn't say like a YouTube celebrity because I don't think they really existed when I was a teenager but I loved the idea of making films and comedy and stuff I've always been big into the idea of creating things that make people laugh and so I used to do like short sketch show stuff on my old YouTube channel and it was all rubbish it was total trash (laughs) a lot of rape jokes it was uh yeah total dodgy stuff I think I used the r word in a couple of them as well it was just oh so cringe now and it's oh it's uncomfortable looking back and being like oh I was a horrible person like I didn't realize it, but oh, it's it's hard to watch back and just and deny that fact. <laughs> well, I can say that at least from the media that I've consumed that you're involved in, you have risen from the ashes of burning that old self into a, a lovely intolerant phoenix. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I feel I have to compensate because I feel I don't know about everyone else, but I feel like I was like really shitty as a teen. I don't know if I I have, mm. I have like a lot of guilt about that. I think I only came to the realization like feminism was a good thing when I was like 18. And so before then I was total like cocky teen, like, oh yeah, I don't know, just needlessly (laughs) rebellious into like very edgy humor and stuff for the sake of trying to impress people. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just picturing that the beginning of your rebellious teen sentences (laughs) always start with, oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) A groan. And I think it's like, as someone, yeah, again, I had some shitty tastes and some shitty opinions when I was younger, and I think I've grown beyond that. I think there are equal measures of both forgiving your younger self, but also holding your younger self to task. Yeah. You know, there's a balance of that. I mean, it's very easy to fall into self-flagellation when you look back on, you know, old pictures or even just like stupid stuff like, these are the CDs I, I, I thought were the best music ever when I was younger. <laughs> I still stand by those. And, like that's a very gentle version of that thing. <laughs> and it's like looking back and going, okay, either you didn't know any better or you really did think that. And there was some fun things of that stuff. But then being able to look at that in context and go, no, those opinions that you had were really shitty. Mm. And you you probably espoused that to people that you were your own age and either look like a bit of a tit or you potentially even like pass those opinions on to people and it's like okay how are you going to fix that i suppose if we come away with a lesson from this is yeah both forgive and don't forgive your shitty teen self <laughs> yeah totally i'm glad i've at least moved past it and can recognize that it's bad but 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I f- oh, still feel icky. It's just like gross to think that that was me once. Ugh. I have like so much empathy these days, whereas I totally did not as a teen. <laughs> I think that's the trouble though with growing up on the internet. I think when it was quite a dark and shady place, it was easy to fall into certain corners. Like a lot of the stuff that I was, that I found funny. I think a lot of teens found funny at the time was like, you know, the Ebaum's world, Albino Backsheep, a lot of like, oh, yes. like, edgy humor and stuff it was like i know it was a, a the times but also <sighs> yeah and especially now that certain things like will be will come back and be like you know released on netflix and you go and watch stuff and you realize just how much has been drilled into you it basically makes you reevaluate you're like okay if these messages were everywhere yeah it's like does that make it a little if not better at least more understandable yeah and it's as something that you've now actively rebelled against so it's a different kind of rebellion so there's the shitty teen rebellion where you do stupid stuff and then there's the good adult rebellion where you put those things to the side yeah exactly all right well i think that's actually a decent place for us to end it okay now, Joe, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? You can find me on Twitter at the Joanna Graham, and of course, you can listen to my silly wrestling podcast that I do with my partner Kevin Mahan, which is How to Wrestling. You know, I don't think I've ever heard someone pronounce the H in the middle of Kevin's surname. Really? That's how you're supposed to say it. Really? Yeah, Mahan. I was just figured you do the Vince McMahon thing and just sort of bounce that H. I was really paranoid when I first met him that I'd say his name wrong because I'm just always really paranoid about doing that to people's names. I never want to like mispronounce someone's name. And so I was like Mm. really careful when I first met him. I was like, so how do you say it? Say it again? I'm really sorry. Do you mind saying it one more time? I just really don't want to get this wrong. (laughs) And like these days, if we try and book a meal at a restaurant or something, the strange versions of his name we'll hear like Mahoon, Mahone. (laughs) It's like, okay, fine. Yeah, it's something that I see in Australia a lot where it's like you'll see you'll see a word and you'll think, I know how to say this word. And you'll say it and then you'll be gently corrected mm. that no, in fact, it is said like completely different from this very similar word that ends in a different way. Yeah. Even like a name like what I would read as Mahoney. Yes. And having watched Police Academy movies, the main character is named Mahoney. So I see M-A-H-O-N-E-Y. And you'll hear someone go, Mani. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> And especially coming from, from Canada and having a French-Canadian background, seeing names that are French names yes. being pronounced where you hear every single consonant in them. And I'm just like, can you not? Mm. Can, uh, no, please. Please don't. Like calling and saying, could I speak with uh, Mr. Montpellier? And it's like, yeah, Mr. Montpellier. <laughs> and it's like, Ugh. Yeah, totally. Like, I do empathize with people with Kevin's surname in particular because he's so associated to wrestling and McMahon mm. is like obviously the pronunciation. Oh, yeah, you've got the er example yeah, right there. Yeah, it's like, well, that's surely, yeah, that's how you say it. <laughs> I always think back to 30 Rock when there are like seven different pronunciations of Donaghy. Oh, God, yeah. Donaghy, Donaghy. Donaghy. It's pronounced Doherty. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> All right, Joe. So thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm very glad that we were finally able to tee this up. Listeners, I have been trying to get Joe on for so long because I'm such a big fan, and I was very glad that we were able to tee this up in such short notice. Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much for having me on, and I'll happily come back anytime. Great. <laughs> Small doses daily.
absorbed and collected. Thank you very much to Joanna Graham for her time. When I asked Joe for her signature cocktail, she was very, very specific. And I quote, I freaking love Bloody Marys. Spice and salt flavors are my jam. And while Bloody Marys are not my jam, I do know many people who like them, and so I have a go-to recipe. This particular Bloody Mary was inspired and reverse-engineered from the Bloody Porto at the Oxford Tavern in Petersham, New South Wales, renowned for being a former strip club that is now a decent barbecue place. We start with the Bloody Mary mix. In a jug, mix together three cups of tomato juice, one and a half ounces of lime juice, one and a half ounces of lemon juice, a tablespoon of Worcester sauce, two teaspoons of horseradish, one and a half teaspoons of salt, one teaspoon of celery salt, three quarters of a tablespoon of pepper, and two teaspoons of peri-peri sauce. Whisk together until combined, and then store for two hours covered in the fridge, or for best results, overnight. Run a lemon wedge around the rim of your glass. Then dunk the glass in celery salt. Once your glass is prepared, fill it up with ice cubes. Pour in two ounces of dark rum and a dash of peri-peri sauce. Top up with four ounces of your Bloody Mary mix. Give it a decent stir and then garnish with a ridiculous skewer involving pickles and pickled onions and bacon or whatever else you want to add on there. Get ridiculous. A Bloody Mary is your license to do so. After this drink, you may find yourself standing around. Your drink will be completely empty, but you will be completely happy. Enjoy. Daddy needs a car like your mama And you don't need that knife anymore You can write another letter to Obama But you can't play the youth card no more The kids are evil And they are talking to us The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest in the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, or you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. I keep saying it, and y'all keep listening. You can pledge as much as you want. I swear. Patrons get cursive tweets, bonus cocktail recipes, and I would really, just really appreciate it a whole bunch. If you would like to support the show non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating or write a review. It helps people find us. And if you write a review, I'll even read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou with capitals at the beginning of each word to find the Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one. That's like 11 hours worth of music, including this one. It's The Kids Are Evil by Electric Six, one of several bands, including Elbow, that I'd never heard of until I heard their music used on RatherGood.com. 
I update the playlist every week as soon as the episode goes live, so subscribe and get that new music in your ears. Next week, when I'm hopefully clear of this tonsillitis, I'll be talking to my good friend Rebecca Graves about Stephen King and Dream Logic. Join me, won't you? <laughs>